guys, I did it again. Two weeks without a podcast. I'm sorry. Before I get to the crocodile tears, though, I'd like to thank you for listening to Life in Paradise podcast. With me, your host, Mr. Brandon Harper. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job. Lots and lots and lots of opinions. So many opinions that people get tired of hearing my opinions. So what do I do? I come here and I put them out there every few weeks. That way those who want to hear them can hear them and those who don't want to hear them don't have to. I'm just going to assume that you came here to get enlightened. And I appreciate that. One thing about me is that I never do pre-recorded intros. You'll learn that if you don't know it. Thanks again for listening to Life in Paradise podcast. If you haven't listened to the Old Dog New Tricks podcast on the Eskimo Bros 69 feed, I know, I know, just if you want to listen, listen. If you don't want to listen, don't listen. It's immature. It's silly. We make fun of people. And if you want to go be part of that, check it out. Otherwise, sit back, relax, and give me the sledgehammer for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. Push it real good. Push it. Push it good. Push it. Push it real good. Again, guys, I'm sorry. I know it's been two weeks. I've got to get better about this. I really wish that it weren't such a hassle. I don't mind recording. I don't like editing. You know, I had that one dude lined up that was doing all the editing for a while. Actually, I think maybe I'll reach back out to him or someone. I just, I don't know. It kills me to do the editing. I don't know why it's just so boring. And I've even gotten to the point where I don't have to like listen to it. I can just... I can look at the little lines, the recording lines, and I know what needs to be cut out. And I even edit when I'm recording. So if I fumble over words, I'll stop, cut it out, and re-record it immediately so that I don't have to listen to it play back through when I'm editing. One thing that I had heard when I went back, I always listen to these. As soon as I upload them, I listen to them myself. Not only because I really enjoy hearing myself talk, but also because I need to know if there's any sound problems or glitches. I am like a nut for good quality sound, and I'm trying my hardest to achieve that. But either way, I go back and listen to them. One thing that I noticed is that <laughs> I've been like ranty lately. And, and I know that sometimes I come across as just being like someone who complains about things, but I felt like I kind of owe an explanation. Not... Not really owe an explanation, but I don't want to seem like this grumpy dude who's always sour and just bitches about everything, because it's really not me. I do feel like I'm far more observant than a lot of people, and, and I don't mean that like, you know, oh, look at me, I'm more observant, because chances are my life would be more simple if I weren't, but I see things, and it's my, my nature is to solve problems, and so if I see something, and I think, wow, you know, why would they do it that way? Is there a better way to do it? Can we improve it? That doesn't mean that the way I saw something was bad or the way that it is is bad. I just always look for room for improvement. And I often think if there's no reason why you shouldn't improve, well, then improve. 
But a lot of people take that the wrong way. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, I mean, little comments like, Brandon, why are you always complaining? Or, that, that wasn't anyone in particular. That was just a whiny girl voice. But I've heard it before. And so I just wanted to make it clear. I mean, I do rant about a lot. In the grand scheme of things, like the things that I talk about on here aren't very big things in the real world. Now, I know sometimes I get worked up. I know sometimes my voice pitch changes. I care about things. But believe me, I know what's a real problem and what's not a real problem. So just bear with me. Remember, I come here to get things off my chest. So this is a place for me to come say what I think. And number one, not be interrupted. And number two... I have to stop my train of thought, which happens frequently. Man, I just got back from the air show. I tell you what, I am a sucker for an air show. Man, if I could go to an air show every day of my life, I probably would. I know, it'd probably get boring. I'd probably see the same things over and over again. But man, I get, I get to see an air show about once a year or so. And I'd be fine if it were a lot more. The um, Blue Angels just performed down on the Bayfront, right in downtown Corpus. And it was really cool because most air shows are in a fenced-in, you know, base-type area or somewhere where there's crowds. You sit on top of people. But this being that it was all along the seawall, people had room to spread out. And there was people stretched out all the way downtown. Beautiful day outside, clear blue skies. Just um, a bunch of people sitting on the stairs leading down to the water. And it was awesome. You know, it's one of those uh, events where you, you know, you sit down there and you kind of wish you were sitting by yourself and there was not a bunch of groups of people around you. But there was, uh, there was a bunch of people around us. And by the end of the afternoon, we were all kind of buddies, you know, commenting about the planes. The usual comments you get at an air show. But, but still, it was, uh, it was fun. If, you, uh, if, if you're a grown man and those planes don't do something for you, I don't know what to tell you, man. We are cut from different molds because I am like a little two-year-old kid at a candy store. What's that saying? A fat kid at a candy store. I want to just jump up and down and scream, but I don't because I might get looked at funnier than I already do. So, yeah, it was awesome. Blue Angels flew. And then uh, we walked probably maybe half a mile. Actually, it was exactly a mile. From uh, the brewery to where we watched the um, watched the air show. On the way back, I thought, I'm just going to rent one of those Lime Scooters. So that was it. I'm no longer a Lime Scooter virgin. I hopped on one. I did the app thing. I got it all hooked up. First got on it, and I was like, eh, Daddy might be a little bit, little bit too big for this little thing. <laughs> but nope, I got it going. I hit the speed of 10.6 miles per hour. I felt comfortable. So, yeah. Good to know I can always use a Lime Scooter for a getaway vehicle. Speaking of getaway vehicles, I found some interesting news about China. China, as the president used to say. They, um, they have entered the Paris Accord. Now, if you remember, the Paris Accord was a global agreement, I'm assuming produced by Paris. I don't know that for sure, or France. I don't know that for sure, but uh, either way, it was a global agreement between a bunch of countries um, to, to cut emissions because these countries or certain countries feel like that it's ruining the, the environment or the, the ozone or what is it? The uh, climate change that the, that all the gases that we're producing causes climate change. 
which is kind of convenient that they change it from global warming to climate change. But either way, that's a different discussion. So all these countries say you've got to stop producing CO2 um, or we're going to destroy the earth. So China says, okay, fine, we'll, we'll enter. We'll finally enter. But China, has they agreed that they will start making changes to their production processes by 2030 and that they will be carbon neutral by 2060. And I know that the U.S., I don't know what year they committed to being carbon neutral by, but I want to say it was like 2030. So here we are, the U.S., let's just say that it was 2030. They may be 2040. I know they're not 2050 or 2060. Either way, they're less than China, a significant amount, 10% or 20% or more. So here we have the U.S. saying, okay, I'll tell you what, we will take the cost, we will bear the the burden of producing eco-friendly things, because remember, there's a cost to it, right? It costs more money. Otherwise, we would just do it that way from the beginning. So we will bear the cost to become carbon neutral. How about you, China? China said, no, uh, uh, 2030, 2060, neutral. So he said, okay, so the problem that I have is that there's all these countries that have different finish lines. To me, it only makes sense to have one finish line that everyone can make out their program to go on one route. We can all help each other. If there's some countries that are struggling that aren't meeting their benchmarks, we can reallocate resources. But no, we just, you know, some countries will do it this date. Some countries do it this date. Some countries do it that date. And if you remember, everyone got so upset at Trump whenever he withdrew from the program. Because he said, you know what, this is not fair for us. It is, it's stacked against us. And there's lots of people out there who say, well, why can't you just produce green energy? It's, it's better for the environment. I'm not going to go through all the details here, but it's more costly. It's less efficient because we can't store it. That's the main reason. Another reason is because it's, it doesn't get produced without intermittency. We rely on things that are sometimes there and sometimes not. Therefore, you have to have a grid backing things up, ready to go. So Trump gets in there and he says, guys, this isn't really fair for us. I'm pulling us out of this deal. We can renegotiate it. So he did. And of course, the left went absolutely nuts. They lost their mind. Trump wants to kill the earth. He wants to just do away with everything, all, all things earth-friendly. Just do away with it. Just destroy us all, all in the name of profit. You know, everyone lost their mind. But when the details come out, we can see that, you know what, maybe he was right. Maybe there was something stacked against us. Maybe there was something that that created a, an unfair advantage for us and a fair advantage for China. Because remember, we have to allocate resources to doing things green. It is, it is less efficient. That's just the, the technology has not gotten us there, right? So we have to allocate resources. We have to subsidize it. We have to pay for it. So that creates an unlevel playing field between us and the people who aren't subscribed to the green energy methods. And so I just wish that people would understand all of the nuances and intricacies that go into these policies that, that people get so bent out of shape about. And the, the general public or the average person, they don't have a clue about the Paris Climate Accord. And to think that two countries would enter an agreement, or two-plus countries, the rest of the world also, that all these countries from around the world would enter an agreement. And the agreement would be something so simple as, we want to reduce uh, climate change. No, we, want to, we, we don't want to worry about it. We want to keep things as normal. We want to just keep going. Like, do you people honestly think that that was the agreement? 
or maybe that there was tons of other details in there. And, and whenever people get bent out of shape about some policy that's changing or some politician who's threatening to change things, they most of the time don't know what they're talking about. What made me think about this was a friend of mine who's left-leaning. And I've said before, some of my best friends are left-leaning. I have no problem with it. I know a lot of people don't like it. They, hell, I'm not going to even get a time of day to a liberal Democrat. That's not me. That's not me. Because at the end of the day, if we want change, we have to work together. So the only way you can get it is by understanding the other person, understanding where they're coming from, trying to let them understand you, and reaching middle ground. So he asked me, or, or he made the comment, rather, about not being comfortable with the ships hauling crude oil around the world, on the oceans. And I said, well, so, so you're fine with like buying the oil from, from foreign countries, but you just don't want to haul it in boats. And he said, well, I just don't like the idea of a potential oil spill. And I thought, well, yeah, no, yeah, me neither. No one likes the idea of an oil spill. But it really got me thinking about more than that. The first thing I did was I Googled ships safer pipeline oil transportation. And I found articles that supported both sides of the story. Some that said pipelines were better. Some that said ships were better. Some that said ships were better than trucks. Some said trucks were worse than railroads. And there was conflicting information on all sides of the case. My problem is I don't want to pay foreign countries for oil, but we'll leave that discussion for another day. So, so going back to the details, once again, and I even texted him this. I said, man, really? We're just a couple of knuckle-draggers arguing, or potentially arguing. We don't, sometimes we argue. I've, I've kind of figured out how to not do it anymore. But we're just a couple of idiots saying what we think is best. We actually don't know. We don't have any foolproof data. You can't trust articles on the internet written by quote-unquote journalism outlets. There's no more trust there. So all we are is we're just running around screaming. And who benefits? Who benefits whenever two people are fighting about a topic and neither one of them really know much about it? Now, I think that that's true. I think neither one of them really know too much about it for 99.9% of the humans that live in the USA. There's a very, very small portion of people who actually understand bills and policy and politics and rulemaking. And you know what? I don't put myself in that group. Like, I just don't, I don't have enough time to go through and research it and figure it out and learn about it and fact check it. I just don't. So do I have grounds to argue? Who knows? That, that, that's what we're here for. But my point is, it doesn't make sense for us to have to be held to standards that someone else is not held to. The logical thought process, would, the next step would be, okay, show me some reasons as to why the Chinese should be left to follow the rules until a later date. And if you can convince me, then sure, we can have that conversation. But the way I like to do things is I like to figure out, okay, what's everything I do know, and then try to shrink that down and then make a decision based on that. And I try to remain clear. I try to, you know, make it known that, hey, I don't know enough about that. But if, if it just boils down to A, B, and C, here's my opinion. But we are, we are not okay with not taking a side. It, it feels like we have to take a team. And the only people who benefit are the politicians. Because while we're down here fighting about who we're for and who we're against, 
they're over there in Washington, D.C., eating ribeyes and smoking cigars, talking about how, how the friction between us will further their agenda. How? How will it? Because they become passionate. Because a, a spark, they get a spark in their heart. And then it's a competition. They're competing with other people to see whose idea is better. And there's never a winner. There's never a winner. And now that the media is involved, forget about it. Forget about it. They have the ability to know what we want to read, to understand what we think based on what we're looking up and searching and reading, and then feeding that right back to us. And until we can find a way around that, I don't know, I don't know how it's going to be. I don't see how things can get much better. I mean, things so simple as the stinking vaccine for the COVID virus. I mean, there has never been a time in my life when it's appropriate to openly ask someone what type of medical treatment they're going to get. I mean, remember when HIPAA and you're like, uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, hello. Yes, sir. I think, I think my wife's in this hospital. I'm sorry, sir. We can't give you that information. Yeah, but what if I, I tell you her name? I have her driver's license right here. I have her passport. Uh, I think I have everything of hers. It's my wife. Here's my ID. We have the same last name, same address. I'm sorry, sir. We can't give you that information. HIPAA law. Here's my son. My son lives there too. He's got an ID. His address is on there. Uh, here's some photos of me and my son and my wife. I'm sorry, sir. We can't give you that information. It's HIPAA laws. And so you, you get the idea. You get the idea. But here we are marching around, bragging about getting the vaccine trying to get people to get the vaccine, so unsure about the vaccine that we're trying to get other people to get the vaccine too. I won't go into all the details on that theory, but there is something there. Misery loves company. And uncertain people feel more comfortable whenever everyone around them agrees with them. I won't, I won't get into that any more than that, but you get the idea. I want to go back and look at my podcast. I think it was uh, July... July or August of last year, that I was like, okay, you know, the vaccine's going to come out. Then we're all going to be fighting about who gets the vaccine and in what order we get the vaccine and whether we should or should not get. The, I, I called out this whole thing. It's all there on the interwebs. Go back and listen. And then you can tell me how right I was. And then because of that, you can go out and buy some Bitcoin. But what will be really interesting to me is let's just say, and I know a lot of people don't like to hear this, but we're going to have to talk about it. Let's just say that in 10 years from now, we find that there's some horrific cancer the vaccine has caused. And what will be interesting to me from an observational perspective is how many people will sue the government, will sue the pharmaceutical companies, and will blame the government for rushing that drug to market and being too fast and not being certain of what it does. And guys like me will just sit there and laugh and laugh and laugh. And I won't be the one laughing because I chose not to get the vaccine and everyone else has cancer. I'll be the one laughing because I'll think in my head, all you people who advocated for the vaccination, you pushed the government you prayed for it every night. You said, oh, Lord Jesus, please just send a vaccination. So we can take the muzzles off our faces and, and Fauci will bless us to go outside. And I'll, and I'll think to myself when these people are, are suing the government. Wow. What do they say? What's the, what do they say? The Karens on, the, on their Facebook, when you comment, they'll just say, I like it when they say, wow. 
just wow. <laughs> if I, whenever I get wow, just wow from a Karen, I am high-fiving myself. So the moral of that story is stop telling people to get the vaccine. There's reasons why people aren't getting it. And you don't need to know why. And it's none of your business. Stop asking them. Stop telling them. Stop encouraging them. Okay? Hey, I'll tell you what. The longer I see Joe Biden walking around with like five masks on when he's out in public and everyone's been vaccinated, the longer I see this pathetic display of theater, and anyone who denies that, you're lying. Because right now, there is absolutely no need for Biden to wear the mask. None. Every person in his proximity has been vaccinated. What are we doing? You know what? I hope he keeps wearing it. I would love to see him wear it for the duration of his life. (laughs) He will go down as the mass president man. Speaking of strong leaders, I, I tried my hardest to watch his State of the Union address. <laughs> and I fell asleep probably five times, and I was like, I cannot, I can't do this anymore. I said, I'll just have to get by in the snippets. Because I was just falling asleep, it was so boring. He was just droning on. He spent the half of the entire speech was about COVID. Okay, COVID's over, dude. Like, what is he going to talk about whenever everyone has the vaccine? Like, that's all he talks about. Oh, he did talk about some, he did do some Biden math. Here, I got, I got a little clip of that for you. Kid, you know I can't go a week without playing some of my old Joey boy. Let him have it, Joe. Give me some of that good, good math. Again, 650 people increased their wealth by more than $1 trillion during this pandemic. And they're now worth more than $4 trillion. What, what? My fellow Americans. Oh, I'm so sorry, uh, Mr. Joe. Uh, please re- repeat my question for me. I did not hear you very well. I am thinking your, your math is wrong. Uh, please say once again. Again, 650 people increased their wealth by more than $1 trillion during this pandemic. And they're now worth more than $4 trillion. My fellow Americans. So I guess it's just the... Um, the number of people that, I don't, I don't know, I, he lost me there. 650 people increased their wealth by $1 trillion and now it's worth $4 trillion. Should, should we stop people from increasing their wealth if they're too wealthy? Should we say, I'm sorry guys, you must stop accumulating wealth. Why? Because you have too much. You see, these people think that, that if you stop people from creating wealth, then it just magically appears in the bank accounts of the people who are in the bottom, the people who don't accumulate much wealth. They think that if you, if you stipend the rich, it just, it just must end up in the hands of the poor. And that is so far from economics, it's comical. Once again, I don't think Joe Biden could pass an 11th grade economics test. Bernie Sanders, he couldn't pass a 5th grade math test. Creating wealth is an essential part of the American dream. Now, I know people hear that word, create wealth, and they think, well, I can never create wealth. I'm just a working man. I like to go to the lake on the weekends. I like to take out my jet boat. I like to see boobs. I can't ever create no wealth. That's wrong. That is absolutely wrong. Wealth is created when things appreciate. When you buy a house, when you invest in things, they, they gain value over time. Wealth is nothing more than everything that you own. And if you're a homeless person with a backpack, you have wealth. It's just a little bit of it. 
You see, people confuse the word wealth with excess. Wealth is not a bad thing. It's a great thing. If I'd have known how to invest when I was 21 years old, my life would look totally different. But no one taught me. No one showed me how to invest. No one showed me what the importance of gaining wealth and how to do it. And how if you pay, you know, $300 more a month on your house payment, it'll pay it off five years, eight years sooner. We need to stop pretending like wealth is bad and act like wealth is good and now teach people how to accumulate wealth. I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to come back to this because it's very, um, it's very important. There's a guy who might be running for the governor of uh, California that I admire, and, and he holds to the same philosophy. So I'm going to come back to that. But first, I want to talk about a buzz phrase that you may or may not have been hearing lately. And, and to me, it's like the heart of the root of the root of where I come from. It's my soul. It's economics. And it's just this. It's very simple. There are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. And, and for the economic junkies out there, you're saying, yeah, no joke. I know. That's a common, common sense thing. But there's some people out there that I want to kind of break that down. I want people to understand that there's always life is a teeter-totter. For one side to go up, the other side must go down. In accounting, for one account to go up, the other one must go down. Everything has to balance out. When you play whack-a-mole, for one to come up, another one goes down. And so going back to the, the transportation of oil or crude oil around the world, like going back to that. So we have a few options of the ways in which we can move oil around. We can put it on a train. We can put it in a boat. We can put it in a truck. We can put it in a pipeline. That's really about it. We've got four different ways. With each one of those ways, there's a cost, right? It costs money to build a pipeline, costs money to run trucks. You get it. There's a cost to everything. There's also um, what we call a spillover effect, which is things that, like the, the hidden side of things, things that you don't plan for, you don't account for, like a sp spillage, like spilling oil. And none of the four ways are foolproof. All of them can fail. All of them can lead to oil spills. So with each choice, you have a trade-off. Well, this one costs the most money. It's the safest. If we go this route, we're going to raise the price of the pumps X amount of dollars. Because remember, that oil that gets moved, it costs money to move it. And you may think, well, if there's a pipeline there and there's a motor and everything that's running, then the oil just moves. No. Someone's got to pay for that motor to run. Someone's got to service that pipeline when it breaks. There's a cost to everything. And so when we're looking at options and we're, and we're weighing them and we're saying like, okay, here's a problem. What's the solution? Someone has to give something up in order for there to be a solution. That's what's called a trade-off. Remember back a year ago when we decided to shut down the entire economy, we thought to ourselves, well, we can just shut it down. Well, some people said, I didn't think this, but some people said, well, we can just shut it down. We just start it back up again. No, that's entirely wrong. I wish it were that easy. So the, the trade-off to potentially losing lives is keeping the economy going. We have to decide. There's a balancing act there. We have to decide. Well, we all know that we can't just shut everything down and the stores be empty. We all know that that can't happen. So at what point we go up from there 
We start putting people in stores. We say, you can go to work. You can go to work. You can't go to work. This is such a huge decision. And no matter what, not everyone can win. There has to be losers. And you always hear me say, like, what sucks is when the government picks winners and losers. And this is what happens with subsidies. This is what, whenever people, whenever they have uh, discriminatory, you know, standards for the same work. You get the idea. My whole point is that we don't, we shouldn't want the government, which is made up of humans, you know, four or five humans sitting up there making the rules. We shouldn't want them to pick the winners and the losers. And, and the way that we keep them from doing that is by stopping them from making rules and regulations because those lead to more rules and regulations and more rules and regulations. And then eventually, the government's picked. They pick who wins. Let's just take the, um, for example, I've got some family members who own a business and it, it participates in a marketplace that competes for government contracts. And so within the last, I don't know, 20 or so years, the government just said all of a sudden one day that we need to award contracts to, to people that have different skin color or nationalities or genders. And so they put out some mandates, and I don't know all the, the numerical details, but there's been mandates that have been issued that says, you know, this percentage of contracts has to go to a women-owned business. And the, and the contractors in the area push back, and they say, what if there is no women-owned businesses here? What do we do? And they, there's no response. There's like, well, we'll have to go find one from out of state. And so excluding reputable bidders on a contract because of their gender, number one is discrimination. And number two, the government gets to pick who wins. They get to pick who wins the contract. And anytime the people don't compete, it's worse for the consumer. The consumer gets the best price and the best service Whenever two businesses are fighting in the marketplace for the consumer's business. Here's an example of that. Nika Sail and Surf, the sailboat charter business down in Nicaragua. We were the only catamaran for a while. People kind of came and went and tried to compete with us. For whatever reason, people couldn't get their act together and they would never make it. They would go home. So we were the only boat there. We had a certain level, we had a price point. It was locked in. We'd go up about 5% every two or three years, trying to keep up with inflation. So another catamaran shows up, and they want to compete, and they want to do business. What happened? Prices went down. Prices went down. Service got better. We started doing fruit in the mornings on the way out. And why? Only because competition came around. Who benefits from that? Nobody benefits except for the consumer. And I wish that people would understand that and just get out of the way and let the market allow for competition to happen. So going back to my point, there is no solutions, only trade-offs. Whenever a solution to a problem is, oh, well, in order to ensure equality, or wait, no, what's the word? Equity. Now we have to say equity, I think. I don't know. There's some new word like equity that everyone's using, and I'm not exactly sure why we just started using it, but... In order for us to have equity, we have to make sure that black women get these contracts. What are you doing? You're taking away the competition. You're making the experience worse for the consumer. Who's the consumer? The consumer is the person who pays taxes that uses the infrastructure that we're bidding to work on. 
And yes, I understand markets fail. I get it. I understand that capitalism, every now and then, things can go wrong. And, and you end up with, with companies who are super powerful. Is there a solution to that besides just busting them up when they get to the top? I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. But I know that living in a country that has some pretty powerful businesses, along with that, we have some pretty powerful tools. You know, in exchange for Apple being powerful, we all get to have an iPhone. The, the guy who washes windows on the side of the road has an iPhone, and the, the executive and CEO of every company has an iPhone. And so th that's, that's the trade-off. Yeah, it sucks that Facebook can control who's on the Internet. They can team up with Amazon and say, nope, sorry, we're shutting down your uh, hosting service and you'll never be able to be online. Okay, what do we do? I don't know. There's a few options. I'd like to see whenever, um, you know, whenever somebody comes along and they, they have the marketplace cornered in such a way that nobody can compete because they can just crush it. You know, the Amazon can say, nope, you're not using our, uh, our server space. And Google says, nope, you're not using our search engine. And Facebook says, no, you can't mention your name on our, our forum. What do you do? I don't know. Perhaps instead of destroying a company that took a generation to build or in these guys' case, like four years. Maybe you, you create an environment where their, their competition can come up even easier. Maybe you could put, uh, the government can go in and buy, you know, millions of dollars of server space. And they say, here, you guys use it. We're donating it. This is not for the Amazons. Amazon, you're not allowed to use this server space. And then let the free market sort it out. They just give a little nudge. They don't go in and they say, well, you've done really well. You've given the people exactly what they want. I know there's some shadiness going on too, but i tell you what we're going to do. We're going to cut your company into fifths and you can no longer operate as one singular company. That disincentivizes companies to get big. Okay, I'm kind of rambling. I know, I caught myself. The whole point is, understand that there's always a trade-off. Even things when you're designing your house and you think, you know, yeah, granite countertops look good, but blank. Yeah, those hardwood floors are awesome, but blank. I sure do love the looks of that new Corvette, but how many baby seats can we put in it? I really hate the look of this minivan, but we could put a lot of baby seats in it. There's always a trade-off, not a solution. So I just want to encourage people to think. Whenever you hear of a problem and you think, well, here's a solution, or maybe you speculate on what the solution might be, maybe you can just flip it around. Find the inverse. Figure out what the trade-offs are. Figure out who it would benefit to go one way and who it would benefit to go the other way. Because when you're faced with a decision and you can either go left or you can go right, chances are someone will benefit if you go left and someone else will benefit if you go right. And that's all I'm going to say about that. One last thing and then we'll go. I was recently turned on to a guy called Meet Kevin, M-E-E-T. And uh, I got some millennial cousins who are like 10 years ahead of me when it comes to this stuff. And so they feed me information once they've already consumed it and it's old news. But anyway, they told me, uh, my cousins Harry and Jordan told me about this guy called Meet Kevin. And he started out, well, he was born in Germany, moved to Florida as a child, 
and um, started out, went to high school, I think he went to college, became a real estate broker, and knew right away that he just wanted to be a real estate mogul. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to manage and own residential real estate. And then somewhere along the lines, he thought, you know what? Like, you can do good things for people. You can show them how they can buy homes. You can show them how they can build their net worth. You can show them how to invest in stocks. And, and you can also make money at the same time. And so that's kind of what this guy's been doing. He's not the stereotypical like guy out there trying to sell you his programs. He does offer some courses that you pay for. And I paid, I paid for access to one. And it's the best money I've ever spent. You know, the, the best thing you can invest in is your own self. So I'm happy with that. Either way, he's a very um, um, transparent guy. He puts all of his stock portfolios out there. He shows you what real estate moves he makes. And so he recently, or yesterday, put out a video saying that um, he's considering running for governor of California. And I listened to his video last night or watched it, and like I agree with almost like 99% of everything the guy says. And, and one of the first thing he says was, left, right, doesn't matter. Here's where we are. And I'm like, finally, somebody who can get away from the yin-yang politics, who can, who can back off from the teeter-totter and say, it doesn't matter what you guys think. Here's what's broken. And so he laid out this list of 20 things that he would do. And the first one was cut the state, tells, cut the state sales tax anyone making $250,000 a year or less. And everyone is probably thinking, well, how would you do that? He proceeds to go out and explain the, the whole thing, shows the numbers, you know, shows the pluses and the minuses. Very forward-thinking guy, wants to incorporate technology, understands things like there's trade-offs. He, he knows that. But I, I really do hope that, um, that he gets elected or at least gets some traction. Um, I think his video has gotten, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand views in less than 24 hours. So I posted it on my Facebook page. Um, you can go, you can just Google, uh, meet Kevin governor. It'll probably come up. It's a YouTube video. And I would encourage you to go listen to this guy. He's just a little nerdy video game playing white kid that, you know, it's just wants to make money and spend time with his family. And he wants to teach people how it's done. And he's identified the issues that are broken in that state. And I feel like he could fix it. He said, hey, guys, nothing else. Take this model and go use it. Go implement it in your own state. And I thought that was brilliant. I, I really do hope we're seeing an end to this bipartisan, binary, your tribe versus my tribe Political standoff on every single thing that comes up in the news is political, political arguments, because that's what the people at the top want. They want us to be sold out for the team. They want us to love their team so much we're willing to fight people at work, delete people on Facebook, not talk to family members. And that's where they've gotten us. And I don't know if they've intended to, but they love it. They love the passion that the people support them. I mean, I couldn't express to you how much I would love it if half the people in the world would be willing to fight on account of Nuasis Brewing Company. If they loved our beer so much 
They would be willing to fight other people. And that's what the politicians have done to us. And nobody sees it. We're just pawns, y'all. We're just, we're just little figures that they're moving around to further their agenda. And you know what their agenda is? To get rich and get reelected. And I think that that's not what needs to be the agenda of politicians. Their agenda needs to be, I'm willing to make decisions that will benefit the country or the state. Whether or not they're popular, whether or not people think this needs to happen, here's what I'm going to do. And if you don't agree with that, then you can vote me out. But this whole, like, well, I have to have to represent my constituents. And yes, of course, they, they're on welfare, and I'm going to keep, them, keep giving them welfare. And so there's no long-term solution, you know? And then 30 years later, we're asking ourselves, why are these people still on welfare? Well, I don't know now, but we can't take it away. It's because we gave them no path. We didn't give them, we just gave them shelter. Said, here, stay there, shut up, you're safe. But yeah, I don't know. I'm rambling again. Uh, go check out this dude, Meet Kevin, M-E-E-T-K-E-V-I-N. Uh, somewhat of a mentor, virtually-ish to me. But yeah, I hope we're headed that way. Check him out. If you like it, share his video. Uh, that's the most anyone can do for him right now. He even said he would, uh, he would video his entire day, every day, and vlog it and explain things. Every meeting he walked into or out of, he would debrief and talk about it. I mean, what else could you want? If, you, if that doesn't sound appealing to you, I don't know. I can't imagine anyone saying, no, no, we kind of like the old way of uh, where we really don't know what goes on or where our politicians are going or who they're playing golf with or what kind of cocktails they're drinking. We'd rather have it that way. No, nobody. Okay, rant over. Meet Kevin. Check him out. I'm a big fan. All right, I think that's going to do it. 44 minutes, 19 seconds. I was long-winded today, but it was two shows rolled into one. So I appreciate you listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. I know that we're all different. I know people don't see things the way I do. I know people aren't as passionate about stupid things as I am. I know all this. But I just hope I can provide a little bit of insight, even if you disagree with me. Problem with the world is we can't disagree without being disagreeable. Thanks again for listening. Life in Paradise podcast. Go out there. Express your opinion. Disagree with people, but still be their friend. But most importantly, keep it tranquilo. Some loving, some loving care, and I'll take it there.